I announced that I would speak this evening in the gospel on postmen who did not go on strike. If you turn to Second Chronicles chapter 30, you will find my text in verse 6. So the post went with the letters from the king. Even in the bygone days, when King Hezekiah ruled over the kingdom of Judah, there were postmen. Did you ever think, my friend, that a postman is a good picture of a fearful preacher? I was thinking of this in preparation for this sermon. I thought, first of all, the postman does not write the letters which he delivers. He has no part nor lot in the contents of the postal package that it is his bounden duty to deliver to the person to whom it is addressed. He delivers what he receives. If he is a good postman, an honest postman, he guards with his very life the letter that he must deliver, and he delivers it exactly as he received it. And immediately I thought on that. I thought of the great apostle to the Gentiles, the apostle Paul. First Corinthians chapter 15. You will read there the apostolic description of the apostle's message. Verse 3. But I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received. The preacher delivers what he has received. It is not his business to tamper with the contents of his message. It is his business to deliver what he has received. The Apostle Paul in that chapter speaks of four things concerning the gospel. He speaks first of all on the divinity of its origin. He didn't think it up. He didn't learn it in college or theological school. He didn't imbibe it from the lips of some philosopher of religion. No, sir, the gospel is divine in its origin before it had its reception in the hearts of men. It had its inception and conception in the heart of God. The gospel is the gospel of God. Because that's why men don't like it. It strikes at their pride. Man likes to think that he's captain of a soul, that he's master of a spirit, that he is sovereign. Don't you believe it, man? God is sovereign. And what this old, crooked, perverted, adulterous generation needs to hear 
There's a fact that God Almighty is on the throne. God will work out all things, overruling evil for his own divine purpose, so that in the end, the purpose of God according to election will stand. It's the message of the book. The divinity of its origin is here. Secondly, the authority of its message is here. Look what Paul refers to. Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture. That he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the Scripture. Don't you see the authority of the message of the gospel? It's the authority of the book. Paul appeals to the Word of God. It wasn't what Paul thought about the gospel. Paul preached the gospel that God himself set up and gave to him and delivered to him. The third thing about the gospel in this passage is the reality of its atonement. Christ died for our sins. Our sins are related in the redemptive purpose of God to Christ's death. Christ died. That's history. Christ died for our sins. That's theology. What happened when Jesus died? He died an atoning death for you and me. Priest Corbishley and myself, we're going to debate the Mass. That's the center act of worship of the Roman Church. Praise God tonight. There is no mass in the Bible. Jesus Christ offered one never to be repeated. All sufficient sacrifice for sin. And the work, thank God, is done. Here we have the reality of its atonement. There's something else. There's the vitality of its resurrection. Jesus Christ rose from the dead, not according to Donald Super or Leslie Weatherhead, who deny the bodily resurrection of Christ, but according to the Scripture. What does that mean? That he rose bodily from the tomb, and he's ascended into heaven, and he sits on the right hand of God. And I'll tell you something more, hallelujah, he's coming again, visibly and bodily and gloriously, and praise his name triumphantly to show the nations of the world his supremacy, his sovereignty, and his all-sufficiency. So the postman has nothing to do with the contents of the message. So don't you come to me after the meeting and say, I don't like your preaching. A woman came to me one time, trust the woman, and uh, she said to me, I don't like your preaching, Mr. P. I said, well, madam, thousands don't like it, so another one will not make any difference. Listen, I have nothing to do with the message that I'm delivering to you tonight. It's not my business to think up a gospel. It is my business to deliver what God has given to me. That's the first thing. The postman doesn't write the letters. He just delivers them. Second thing about the postman, 
If he's a good postman, he delivers all the letters. Every one of them. He doesn't sit down and say, well, there's a letter there, and it might contain a sad message. So I'll not bother with that one. And there's one there, and it looks very much like a debt. That's the ones with the windows in them. I never like to receive those ones. I don't think I'll trouble the people about that. And there's one from the electricity department of the corporation. I'll definitely not deliver that one. And there's one from the rate office. Oh, I wouldn't like that dear woman to be worried. I'll just tear it up. I'll not bother delivering. No, sir. There are some preachers like that. They stand up in their congregation and they say, I'll not talk about sin. It's unpleasant. And I have people in my congregation who practice sin. And if I denounce sin too hard, they would leave. And if they left, their friends would leave. And my stipend might suffer. And I mightn't get a rise in salary like the postman. So I will not say anything about sin. Yes, sir. When I was a young preacher, a certain woman came to me one time who was a member of this church. Thank God she's no longer a member of this church. And she said to me, I'm not going to have you preaching on hell the way you do. She says, I reckon you'll change your message or we'll change our minister. I said, is that right? I said, I would like to tell you something. I would be very happy for the congregation to change its minister. For I haven't had a pleasant time in this church so far. It's been pretty rough going. But I said, God sent me here. And as long as God says stay here, I'll not be moving. So I said, I'll tell you what, madam. I'm giving you notice to quit. You're going to go. And she went, all right. I'll not tell you the process. I'll leave that to your imagination. Let me tell you something, friend. The preacher can be pressurized into not delivering all the letters. Preacher might say, well, as I face my congregation, I don't speak about judgment. I'll just discourse in the love of God. The love of God is a great fact, a stupendous fact, a mysterious fact. A wonderful fight. So I'll just talk about God's love. It's true. Certainly it's true. Needs to be preached. Certainly it needs to be preached. The people need to know about the love of God. Yes, sir, they do. And if you're in the meeting tonight and think God's against you, friend, you're absolutely wrong. God is for you, my friend, if you will have him. Jesus came not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And if there's a man in this meeting brokenhearted because of sin, if there's a woman in this meeting and you're downcast because of your iniquity, and you feel the load and the burden, 
and the thraldom and the penalty of sin upon you. Praise God. God loves you. Jesus died for you. You can be saved as you sit in God's house because of the mighty love of the Lord Jesus Christ. But, the preacher might say, I'll not tell them about judgment. I'll preach God's love, but I'll not say anything about judgment. Where do I learn the lesson of God's love? I learned the lesson of God's love at the cross. And if you come with me to Calvary and hear the sound of the hammer swung low, there kneeling my Lord to the tree, there the uplifted Christ speaks to me of God's love. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. But at the cross I learned the fury of the wrath of God. He that spared not his own son. And as I hear that cry that rends the heavens and pierces heaven's silence, my God, my God, why, why hast thou forsaken me? When I hear that cry, I learn that God is love but that God is just. And if I'm going to be pardoned, it will be on the pardon of love, but love will be buttressed by justice. God is just, but he's a justifier of him that believeth in Jesus. So he delivers all the message. All the letters must be delivered. Many a preacher says, all right, I'll talk about heaven. I heard about a preacher, and he was going to another church. And the last sermon he preached, he preached on hell. And the people said for many years he had been their minister, but he never talked about hell before. But the last sermon he preached, he preached on hell. And he warned them of judgments to come. Well, thank God he did warn them. But my friend, there were many people who heard them all those years, and they're now in eternity. And they never heard the warning voice or the trumpet blast and the ramparts of Zion warning sinners concerning hell and damnation. I must deliver all. The third thing about the postman, he's largely ignorant of the results of his message. You see, he comes along and he delivers the letter. Maybe this letter is good news. Maybe this letter confers great benefits. Maybe this letter is a token of a great inheritance. The intimation that the person has come into a great fortune. But the postman that delivered the letter He's largely ignorant of the result of that deliverance. Or maybe that letter bore sad tidings of a loved one across the sea who had passed suddenly away, of some terrible debt or circumstances that the person who received it had to face up to that very hour on the hour of its reception. But the postman who put it through the door he was ignorant of the result. Many a person, when they open a letter, 
can only cry because of the contents of that epistle. Many a person, when they open a letter, can laugh, and the house can be filled with rejoicing because of the contents of the letter. But, but, the postman is largely ignorant of the results of the letters he delivers. So is the preacher. Oh, but you say the preacher knows that people come to Christ. Yes. But how few there be. The preacher knows that others reject the message of salvation. And how many they may be. But the preacher can't be dead sure of what's going to happen when he delivers the message. He's kept largely in ignorance. That's why I'm looking to the day when God hands out his rewards. That's why I have my eye on the judgment seat of Christ, for then eternity will reveal the blessedness of a man who preached the Word of God and warned men of judgment and uplifted Christ. Sometimes, years afterwards, the preacher is encouraged. When I came to Raven Hill, Almost 25 years ago now, I will have completed a quarter of century preaching on this road on the 1st of August this year. My clerk of session was Thomas H. Watson. Mr. Watson, after a few years that I got to know him, passed on to eternity. He was buried in the Newton Breeder Cemetery just up the road. I preached the sermon of the funeral service. I never liked to miss an opportunity to preach the gospel. I preach the gospel when I marry people. I preach the gospel when I bury people. I preach the gospel when I'm electioneering and running advice centers. I was down in Danahe in my North Antrim constituency on Friday evening. Dealing with problems, and what problems the people have neglected for 20 years, and they're bringing all the problems to me. I have enough problems. If you want a few, I'll give you a few for nothing. Not very often a Balamina man offers anything for nothing, but I can give them to you. Secretary of the Minister of Development, of State at Development came down to my office at Stormont the other day. He says, do you know how many cases you have given to me last week? I said, no, I don't count them. He says, you had better start counting them. He gave me 60. He says, I have another 60 in my desk. Just step in, sir, and I'll pile it on. Some departments never worked before in Stormont, but they're working now. Yeah. But let me tell you this story. This young man walked into my advice center on Friday and sat down. I said, young man, have you a problem? He says, I have. I said, what's your problem? He said, Mr. Paisley, Jesus Christ is coming, and I'm not ready. And I opened my Bible, and I showed him how he could be ready. And the member of parliament and his constituent knelt together in the Nahi Orange Hall and I led him to Christ. That was a thrill for him. 
That's the business that we're about, leading souls to Christ. That's the supreme business of the church and of the gospel ministry. Let me tell you this other incident that happened in my ministry. I preached at the graveside. When I first preached the gospel, I didn't see many people see it. I was sort of worried about it. Because if you were a grocer and you never sold a pound of butter, you would be out of business. And a preacher that doesn't win souls, he needs to worry about it. So I didn't see anybody saved at some of these meetings, and I wondered why. But I was conducting meetings many years afterwards. And we were having a testimony time. People were telling when and how they were seeing. There was a man got up at the back of the hall and he said, Mr. Paisley, you don't know me. I said, no. He said, do you remember one of your elders that died and you preached in the cemetery at Newton Britta? I said, I do. He said, I want to tell you a very interesting story. He said, sir, I am a mechanic. He said, I was working at that time for funeral directors in the city of Belfast. I didn't drive a hearse or a motor car. I was the mechanic. And he said this funeral was going out and the hearse was ready and all the cars were ready and the hearse driver didn't turn up. And he said the boss came up over to where I was working and he said you better wash and dress quick and get on a black suit for you've got to drive the hearse. And they said, I drove the hearse. And we called at the place where the service was in the home. And then we went on out to Newton Breda Cemetery. And they said, I never thought that anybody preached at the grave. But he says, I saw you. I was a very thin individual in those days. As thin as a lath. And they said, I saw this thin-looking young man stand at the grave, and he started to preach. And he said, I jumped out of the hearse. I wanted to hear what he was saying. And he says, I stood leaning over the bonnet of the hearse. And they said, God smote me as I leaned over the bonnet of that hearse. My wife, he said, had prayed for me for years. And he said, I accepted Christ that day, leaning over the bonnet of the hearse as you preached the gospel. And he said, I went home and told my wife that I was saved, and she praised God. And I said, wasn't it a miracle? I would never have been in a graveyard. I would never have driven a hearse. But God ordered that I should be there, and that I should hear the gospel. Let me tell you something, friend. The preacher is largely ignorant of what happens when the gospel's preached. But there's a day coming when we shall know the end from the beginning. There's a difference between a postman and a preacher. What is the difference? The postman goes of duty when his job's done. The preacher never goes of duty. He never can say, my work is finished. My messages are all delivered. There is no discharge in this war. 
he must go on delivering the letters that God has given him. The divine and royal meal must be delivered right across the globe till every creature hears the message of the old evangel. I have a final word, man and woman, for each one of you. You have received the gospel tonight. It has been pointed out clearly to you the way of salvation through faith in the Savior. I have only one final thing to say. When you receive God's message tonight, you can do something about it. You know what it says in that chapter of Chronicles? Some mocked and sneered as they heard the message. I wonder how many mockers. I wonder how many men and women with cynical expression will sneer at the simple gospel of Christ, turn their back on light and love, and stumble on down the downgrade to hell. Is that you? You're going to sneer at God's message tonight? Mock! The contents of the evangel of Christ. But it says divers of the tribe of Asher and Zebulun turn to God. Is there someone here and you're going to turn to God tonight? Turn away from your sin and your sinning. Turn away from your worldliness and your worldly companions. And turn to the cross for pardon, to the blood for cleansing, to the Christ for forgiveness, and to the Father for an eternal home in the mansions of everlasting day. You'll make a decision now, my friend. You'll either mock or scorn or receive the divine message. God grant you'll receive it to the saving of your soul for Jesus' sake. Let's bow our heads. Father in heaven, we bow in thy holy presence in Jesus' name. We thank thee for thy word. It's simple. It's plain. It is told the whosoever will. We pray, our God, that there may be a great coming to Christ tonight, that God may apply the Word to the saving of the soul.